0: Would you turn with me to Psalm 130 tonight? This is one of the uh, four psalms, I might say, that Martin Luther picked as the chiefest of psalms. Of course, two of the others were 32 and 51. I'm not quite sure of the last one, but I know 32 and 51 were two of his choices, and then the hundred and thirtieth psalm also. In this psalm, eight times you will find the divine name of the Lord used. And uh, probably Luther had a great regard for it because this psalm is the psalm which is used by the priests of Rome to chant the souls in purgatory out of purgatory. So, you can well see that Luther, after he came to know Christ personally, had a high regard for this psalm in what it really had to say. For Luther had found that only in Christ was there salvation, and that purgatorial fires did not exist for the believer, nor for anyone else, that it was either heaven or hell, and no in between. So this psalm is one of those glorious psalms having to do with uh, a portion of all of our Christian lives, if uh, we want to apply it to our Christian lives. We we take the psalms as they are and then apply them into our own personal lives. It speaks a lot of Israel here. I'll read the psalm and then we will go back and speak of it to your hearts. Out of the depths of have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mock iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord." My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I don't suppose that there is anything worse than the torment of a redeemed soul that has fallen into sin. Any of you who have experienced this, and I doubt that any have not, since the scripture is clear that he that saith he hath no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him, and this is speaking to believers. But certainly, there is no torment worse than when a believer falls into sin. And when I say falling into sin, I am not speaking merely of fleshly sins. I'm speaking of being enamored of the world, falling away from the things of Christ, and then, of course, into deep sin. Deep sin. Is the most terrible thing for the Christian to fall into. The psalmist here is speaking of this essentially, of the great temptations he's going through and the terrible sin that he's fallen into. And the psalmist here is believed, of course, to have been David. David is the one who wrote the Song of Degrees. There are many of them if you look at them in your Psalms. But there's a universal despair in men's hearts that can only be assuaged by God. Uh, That despair is the despair of the weight of sin. And while it's true of unbelievers now and then that they are brought to themselves through some experience with Christ, I would have to say that... It is a rare thing in these days that we're living in to see people driven to Christ by their sin because sin seems to have lacked any significance in this world we live in. The word sin is hardly attached to many of the things that are sin. Today there is such a libertine spirit that uh, things that we used to think were sin, today we sort of casually pass off. uh, So that as we look around the world, we realize that uh, the despair that he is speaking of here doesn't have to do with the world. It has to do with believers. The believer's heart, it is extremely heavy when under sin. Now I don't know if you've ever experienced, and I can't tell, how much believers experience this. May I say this? The more you have of Christ, the more you will suffer. From this, The less you have of Christ, the less you will suffer from this. In other words, the more you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the more conscious you will become of your sinfulness. And the more conscious you are of your sinfulness, the greater will you suffer from sin. So if in your life it's possible that you're living in sin, maybe some deep sin, I, I don't know. Our human hearts are only known to God. And uh, in any congregation of this size, I suppose anywhere in the world, any church of this size, there is bound to be some areas where Sin is present in many lives. We pray that there would be victory over it. But only the individual knows of that sin. It may be secret sin. Ordinarily, it is. Public sin is manifested in the church quite simply. But secret sin is the great power that tears down the church of Christ and ruins its testimony. So that while the people wonder why the churches are dying, may I say it this way? Churches only die where the people die. You know, sometimes we hear about churches that have died, but I want to tell you they didn't die of themselves. They died because the people died in their spiritual life. And for you and I, this should be a tremendous lesson. We're to make sure that secret sin does not so come into our life that without the church knowing it, there may be churches right now around us that are slowly deteriorating, slowly going downhill. You may know of them. I know of some. We do not know always the reason. We may not see it on the surface. But I can assure you there's a reason. It may be that a great deal of secret sin exists in that church, that there has not been a great work of the Holy Spirit in that church, that that church is not manifesting the fruits of the Spirit. And without us ever recognizing this, that church may be slowly dying And so there has to be a very great care in our hearts. May I say this? You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of me. I'm part of you. What you do affects me. What I do affects you. Therefore, let's consider each other. Remember that in sin we don't only hurt ourselves, we hurt everybody else. Have you recognized that? that if there's sin in your life tonight, you would be affecting the whole work of the Holy Spirit in Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. Because God is not ministering through one man without the people. He ministers through a man with the people so that if one sins, the whole body suffers. And this should bring us up quickly to recognize that if there's sin in our life, whether it's a young man or a young woman or a mother or father, it doesn't matter who you are, if there's sin in your life, you are drastically affecting the work of the Holy Spirit in the church where you worship. So here, as the psalmist speaks... He's coming to the Lord, and he's saying, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. And the depths in the Scripture always speak of the depths of sin, the depths of departure from God, and uh, the depths speak of being outside the sphere of the uh, family's health, Outside the sphere of man's help uh, we've gone so far away from God that uh, it's a matter just between the two of us now the family can't help us there's not much can be done mothers and fathers may pray for you and your children but here your teenagers and collegians and all the rest and it's between you and God your adult you've got to be straightened out Whatever is wrong in your life, whether it's adult or young people, there must be that straightening out. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Depths speak of our inability inability to get out ourselves. Impossible. We just cannot do it. We're ready to drown. There seems to be no place to turn. No one is throwing out a life preserver to take care of us. The depths speak of the torment of a mind tortured by sin. And let me tell you, there's no worse torture of the mind than by sin. God doesn't deal with souls. So often people think, and there's a great deal of truth in this, that because of sin in their personal life, God deals with them physically. Now, this can be true. And the Lord's Supper indicates that it is true in many ways. Some are weak, some are sickly, and some sleep because you've come to this table unworthily. You've been sinful and unclean, and you come to the table, and so you feel miserable all the time. You're complaining about your health. You don't know what's wrong. And only the person knows, only that person, nobody else. We can't shake all people who have a little illness and say that, and that's what some people try to do, you know. They, someone catches a cold and right away they say, what's wrong with your spiritual life? Well, I, the only the individual knows, you know whether it's because you are far off from the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times it will affect us physically. But uh, the great power of God working upon us is in the mind. Here's where God deals with us most. The old body, he says, is flesh. It's going to be laid aside. It's corruptible. You can't take it with you. Aren't you glad you can't take it with you? You know, I love that phrase, you can't take it with you, and I certainly don't want to take this along. If God's going to give me a glorified body, fashion like under the body of Christ, that's what we're looking for. But uh, the mind is tormented. God deals with the mind. If God in his great transforming power through faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior comes to us and says, be ye transformed, not by the renewing of the flesh, by the renewing of your mind, he's dealing with the mind. When he transforms us, he says, now ye have the mind of Christ. Therefore, God completely is in power over my mind and he deals with my mind. That's why Martin Luther picked Psalm 32 and 51 and this psalm here, because God is dealing with the mind. He crushes. He brings down in heavy weight. As I said before, it will only be as you are close to Christ that you will ever experience this. The one closest to Christ will experience the deepest despair. One of the greatest promises to your heart that you'll come out of it is if you really suffer from sin. If sin doesn't bother you at all and you're a Christian, then you've got problems. You have real problems. But if sin torments your heart and your mind until you get straight with God, then, beloved, you can be sure that you are in the place where God can really deal with you, whatever that sin may be. When we are in the deepest depths of despond as Christians, we are the closest to God and to coming back. It's only when we are not in the depths of despond because of sin that the chances of our coming back are rather remote. So there must be this work of God in our hearts. And in Psalm 32 and 51, David goes through it. He says, heavy was thy hand upon me, and the moisture within me was dried. And my bones did roar within me. You see, all of this terrible torment over David's sin. And then I confessed my sin, he said, you see. There had to be a confession of sin. And so here this deep depths of despond that the human heart goes into are the terrible tragedy. What are these depths of despond that we go into? Uh, Very practical terms. What does it do to us? Well, they are multicolored in, in their variety, And in the way they come to us, here is the individual, it could be you tonight. I don't know what your sin is, but don't you think you're not living in sin because you're not involved in sex? Sometimes people think about the only sin there is in all of Scripture is sex. But I want to remind you that there are personal sins, all kinds of sins, sins of the heart, sins of the imagination, sins of non commission that are just as desperate. And Jesus said, you say that in the law it says a man commits adultery if he commits adultery. I say to you that if a man lusts after a woman, he has committed adultery in his own heart. This should bring great torment to the heart. If the Christian, you say to me, he says that if a man murders a man, he's a murderer. I say to you, if a man hates, He is a murderer in his heart. God deals with the heart. God deals with the attitudes. God deals with your thought life. God deals with the deep. With the frothy human beings, he has nothing to say. With those who glibly can laugh off, God has nothing to say. But to those who think deep, God has much to say. And so it has multicolors. We feel, as the scripture says, as a worm and no man, falling deep into sin. We feel useless. We feel that we've lost the family's love. We don't feel worthy of their love, even if they love us. We feel deep despair within us. We feel lonely and we don't know why we're lonely. We don't want to talk. We're quiet. We've become depressive. We're far off from God. Loneliness has come in. As we walk the streets and our minds God is dealing with, and oh, let me tell you, this is a tremendous dealing. God deals with the mind, and we walk the streets, and we see somewhere someone in rags lying in the gutter, and the thought comes right away to the mind, I should be there. I'm not worthy, O God. I am the chief of sinners. I am the least of the saints. And it may even be that under that terrible, terrible pressure of God upon our human hearts, that in a moment, though we know salvation is secure, we may wonder and say, am I really saved? I know salvation is secure, Lord, but how did I ever commit this sin? How do I know these things? Simple, my study, my study. Depression that is so deep and the heart so weighed down. Oh, how terrible it is. Lord, hear my voice, the second verse. Let thine ears be attentive to my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark or note or record iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand before thee? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Even death can look attractive to the one who's so deep in sin, may I say that? Somehow to to get out of the whole thing, even death itself. Many have cried, and you can read it in the Psalms, Lord, take me home. Remember, Elijah running getting under the juniper tree and looking to the Lord, saying, Lord, everybody is against me. Everybody's against me. Lord, take me out of it all. Take me home. And that's how the human heart can become, tormented under the power of sin. If thou shouldst mock iniquities, O Lord, Who will stand? Who can stand? If the Lord records our sin, who could stand? That's why he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, I think so often we we go wrongly about this. We get on our knees, we've sinned, and we just get on our knees and we say, Lord, will you forgive my sins? It doesn't say that. It says if we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it's a very light thing to get on your knees at night and say, Lord, I've sinned. Will you forgive me for my sin? It's another thing to think deeply of your life and say, Lord, I confess this sin. I mock it. I bring it to thee. Now, Lord, I confess it before thee. I hide it not. I open it up. Whosoever covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses his sins and forsakes them shall find mercy. Confession of sin. Oh, how important it is that if there's sin, we actually name the sin and confess the sin and say to the Lord, Lord, now forgive me my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and may I walk in thy paths. He says, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Number one, there's only one place you can be forgiven, and that's in Jesus Christ. Remember that? One place you can be forgiven, only in Jesus Christ. Thou art the one that forgives. That's it. There's none other. No one else can forgive you. Remember, concerning sin, it says, against God and him only have I sinned. You may have hurt another person. You don't sin against that person. You sin against God when you're involved in sin with another person. The forgiveness must come from God of the sin which you've committed. You can confess it to this other person. You can speak to this other person. You can receive their forgiveness. But the forgiveness of God from confession is the essential thing. Against Him and Him only hast thou sinned. He's the one who can forgive sin. Thou art the one who does forgive sin. And then he says, after that, he says, that thou mayest be feared. Now, I want to say this. When we go to the Lord in confession of sin, we come and we confess our sins to him and we ask for forgiveness. But I want to tell you, it's a fearful thing. It's not quite as easy as snapping your finger. You don't go to the Lord and confess your sins and then expect that God is immediately going to take away all memory of it and clear you of it so that you get up from your knees and you never think of it again and you walk out And before a little while, you're in the same old sin again. Why? Because God would not have dealt with your heart the way he has to deal with your heart. He says, you're the one that forgives sins, Lord, but I fear thee because I know what's going to happen. Notice what he says. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Here you've come, you've confessed, now you wait. Does that mean tomorrow morning you've been in deep sin for a year, two years, three years? You've been involved in something and you get on your knees and you confess your sins and in the morning everything's rosy and all fine? No, the Lord doesn't work that way. It takes a long time sometimes. God keeps you under His hand until His fine work is finished until with that scalpel he covers, he cuts out all of those tainted parts of sin. It's a slow work and in the process the joy of the Lord has not come back yet. God keeps you under his hand until he can say, my child, your sin and your confession and your forgiveness are now complete. The work has been done by the Holy Spirit of God. I don't think you'll get into that sin again. That's important. Let me tell you something. If you could get on your knees tonight and ask for forgiveness of some sin you've been involved in for the last year or two or three or four years, and that would be it. And in the morning you get up and you feel just great again. I can tell you it wouldn't mean too much to you. But if God keeps his hand like he did on David, heavy upon him and his bones roared within him and his heart was heavy, God has a work to do in you. He loves you too much to be so light and just tossing off forgiveness like that. Oh, the penalty's gone. Death is gone. You don't have to worry about that. You're a son of God and you know that deliverance will finally come. But while you're waiting, I wait upon the Lord. I wait upon the Lord. I trust in His Word. You go to His Word morning, noon, and night, and you feast on it, and you read it, and you drink it in. And while you're drinking it in, God is correcting and correcting and correcting and correcting till He gets His finished work. And then at one moment, It seems as though all heaven breaks loose and you say, Lord, I thank you that you've dealt with me. You've chastened me. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son. Now that's the work, you see, God does. Notice, my soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. And then he repeats it. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. I remember that portion where it says, Israel trembles like a leaf. And Israel says, at night, would it were morning. And in the morning, would it were night again. God let the days pass quick. They're dreadful. Have you ever been sick? Have you? Have you ever sat beside someone sick at night? you ever been dreadfully sick and you can't sleep? Isn't it terrible when you can't sleep? So thankful for that verse that it says, He giveth His beloved sleep. I mean, sometimes His beloved has gone a little far off and hasn't been the kind of a child that beloved one should be, and the sleep is gone. And you just can't wait for the morning. I am like one, he says here. My soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. So I wait for thee. And then when the morning star shines upon us and forgiveness comes. And God's correction has been good. And his finished work is done. Then the heart rejoices. And victory is ours, and we walk about in triumph. Here's the man been depressed in deep sin. Listen, if there's anyone tonight's got a problem like this, oh, you can get victory, but you've got to get straight with God. You've really got to be intense. It says, out of the depths I cried to thee. What have you been doing? Psychiatry can't do it for you. Out of the depths I cried to thee. You can't take tranquilizers. They won't do us. Out of the depths I cried to thee. And I waited. And thou didst forgive me. And thy work was done. Now I am more than conqueror through him that loves me. Ah, that's it. That's victory. That's victory. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank Thee. With the Lord there is mercy, and with Him there is plenteous redemption, as Thou dost say here in this psalm. And just as You redeemed Israel, only in a more blessed and more precious way, with the blood of Jesus Christ Thou hast redeemed us from all our iniquities. Father, we pray tonight that if anyone in the congregation, any one of our hearts should be deep despond over our lives. And Father, this can only come to the Christian who's really close to Christ, who's conscious of the world around him and its lures, who's conscience, conscious of Satan's attacks, who's conscious of the great drawing power, the sensuousness of the flesh, all of these things, a Christian deeply conscious of sin who has fallen will cry out from the depths and ask the Lord for deliverance. Now, Father, deliver tonight anyone who may have come into the congregation who has a great burden of sin and needs victory. Father, may they remember not to be very glib and say, Lord, forgive me my sins, but confess that sin. Be clear with God. God knows all about it. We don't have to worry about telling him he's already seen it and confess it clearly and then ask for forgiveness and then wait upon the Lord as one who looks for the morning to wait until it comes and then rejoice in that forgiveness. Father, teach us lessons in every area of our lives that we might truly live that life that Christ has given us as he lives through us. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.